I remember in my ordination exam, I missed one question. I got half of it right, and um, I, I labored to do a good job. And, and so they were very gracious to me. My minister said, he tried to rephrase the question, and it was from what we just read. Um, the guilt was imputed, and, and then the corruption was conveyed. It was the conveyed part that I missed. And so when we read that, he, he was graciously trying to give me the answer when he stood up and said, what you say, Mr. Shortman? So the guilt, just so... The guilt is the guilty sentence that when Adam fell, we fell. And then the, the wage of his fall was, was, was death. And so that death sentence was imputed to us. It's reckoned to us. The New Testament uses the word logizomai. It's the same thing with Christ's righteousness is reckoned to us, imputed to us. It's kind of forensic and legal. And then like our, our, our sanctification... Rather than imputed righteousness, our sanctification is infused righteousness, which is progressive and practical. In a way like that, the corruption of our nature is conveyed to us through ordinary generation. So it's inside of us, which is where we get sickness and death and those kind of things. So now you'll be able to pass your OPC ordination exam. Okay, kind of. Um, okay, we're in Psalm 35. I put Psalm 35, verse 19. That's kind of going to be the passage we're going to unpack thematically. But I'm going to read all of Psalm 35 for the context. So Psalm 35. And so for our visiting folks, what we're doing here is I, my, my methodology in the morning is to preach through New Testament books. I'm, I'm not a, a primarily a topical preacher but I'm a series, a book series preacher. I start in John 1 and plow through and Acts 1-1 and plow through. And so in the evening series, we do exegetical series through Old Testament books. And we just finished a 48-sermon series, I think, through the book of Ezekiel. And so it's my practice when I finish a lengthy um, book, particularly Old Testament book that's kind of hard like Ezekiel, I take a little break and then we do a series of topicals and rather than kind of hopscotching around, I like to do a, a topical that has a theme. And so I'm not very creative, so I like to know where I'm going. And so I've kind of mapped out where we're going for like 25 weeks. And where, where we're going in the Psalms is we're looking at um, various Psalms that reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at a particular Psalm, and then where that particular Psalm is used by a New Testament writer expressly, that says that is this. So we've, thus far we've looked at the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his divinity, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ as king, uh, Christ as priest, all of those things. And so tonight we're going to look at, and last week we're, we're gonna, I'm going to contrast what we see for, about Christ tonight with a little bit what we saw last week, and it, it just couldn't, it couldn't be more distinct. But that, that's what we're doing. So Psalm 35... And it will be verse 19 that Christ in John chapter 15 quotes. And we're going to read that later into the body of the sermon. But um, Psalm 35, Psalm of David, hear God's holy word. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me and fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. 
Let destruction come upon him unawares. Let the net which he hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exalt in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him? And the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him? Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about, though as it were, my friend or my brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing. Like godless jesters at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They open wide their mouth against me, and they say, Aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself. Awake to my right and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say we have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified, who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Amen. Let's pray. O God, what a great and a good and a mighty and a merciful God you are, and we love and adore and long to serve you with increased fervency and purity, and we long to be in your immediate presence. But until that time, Lord God, strengthen us from Sabbath to Sabbath to live in this world to your glory, looking away from the world and its system ultimately as our, as our hope. And may our treasure be fixed upon you and our hearts stayed upon you, Lord Jehovah, that you would grant us peace as we labor to run the race and fight the good fight of faith, living for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us learn, help us learn the ugliness of um, hatred against you, Jesus Christ, and that we who love you and believe in you, when we see even, even an inkling of anything contrary to you and your things, Lord, that we would put it to death by the sword of the Spirit uh, for your glory. Cause us, all of us, uh, to be on our guard against the evil heart of unbelief. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This particular theme, we'll just look a little bit what's going on. You can get the sense from what we just read. It's a Psalm of David. It says it's a Psalm of David. I would just tell you, if you 
own one commentary series on the, the book of Psalms, which is 150 Psalms, um, I recommend uh, Charles Spurgeon. It's usually a three-volume set. And the great thing about Charles Spurgeon on the Psalms is he does his exposition, and then at the, the second half of that commentary, he was um, a self-taught man, but he was a fabulously self-taught man, and um, he was an amazing reader. And so he almost goes to the, the cream of the Puritans, and he distills their commentaries in his commentary at, at the back of his. So if you want to get um, more bang for the buck by Charles Spurgeon, but I mentioned Charles Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon thinks, um, and I'm being hyperbolic, obviously, but almost every psalm is David. So even when it says it's Korah or the sons of... <laughs> he says, well, it says this, but this seems Davidic. So um, we can rest assured that this particular psalm was written by David. It says it was written by David. That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And given that, it's David. And if we know the life of David, which if you've been a Christian any length of time, we should know the life of David, at least generally from reading scripture. Many commentators, when they look at this, and David is crying and he's lamenting the persecution that he receives from his enemies. If you were to ask yourself and then answer yourself, who was the greatest persecutor of, um, uh, physically persecutor of King David? You'd have to say it was probably King Saul in the very beginning. He started off, he was that wonderful songster of Israel, and he would play the, the, the larp, and poor um, Saul had an evil spirit from the Lord, which is a perplexing thing, but that would make a nice Bible study, I think, um, because the Lord was going to take away uh, the kingship from Saul because Saul disobeyed um, the Lord, and he didn't uh, destroy all of the Amalekites, and he actually lied and deceived and those kind of things. So the Lord took the kingship away from Saul and he was going to give it from another man, to another man, David, a, a more worthy man. And so Saul, from that point on, was a, a, rather than a, a David lover, he was a David hater. And, um, he, and, and David ran from Saul on a number of occasions. And you remember there were a few occasions where David could have killed Saul. And I can remember as a, a baby Christian, I loved Christ and I knew Christ was my Lord and Savior, but I didn't know a whole much, much more. And so I would read certain stories in the Old Testament and I believe them. And I would see Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself and there's David. And I would be saying as a baby believer, get him. <laughs> Now's the time to get him, which is, of course, what David's men said. Get him. And then David said what? He said he's the Lord's anointed and he uses that Hebrew word Mashiach. And remember he said after he left the cave a couple times, I, I could have killed you. And then Saul said, you're a more righteous man. And then he said, I know that God's going to take it away from me and give it to you. So a lot of people see the context of David crying out against his enemies and essentially asking God to vindicate him in that kind of a context where he's fleeing from Saul. We can't be dogmatic. We can be dogmatic that it's David, but we can't be dogmatic as to the, um, as to the exact con context. Um, the reason we can't be dogmatic is because God doesn't say so. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the hidden things belong to the Lord and the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And so when God is dogmatic, he's clear on something, we should be clear. On things that he's not precisely clear on, we should be careful about being precisely clear on. And I know that seems evident, but there are lots of people that can make even the cloudy things seem way clearer than they are. Maybe they're sharp, but be very, very cautious of being, um, say, more clear than God is. Um, we usually are, are going the wrong way. 
A couple of things. So David is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a number of types in the, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the anti-type. Think of Joseph. Joseph was a type of Christ, a type of suffering servant. He was sold into slavery. He ascended to be a prince, type of Christ. David is a type of Christ, prophet, priest, king, type of Christ. And in many cases, the warrior king, um, and, and David prophesied, obviously, but he's a type of Christ. And we know that Christ will come from David. Christ himself says to the Pharisees, well, why does the Bible say that the Messiah is David's son and David's Lord? He kind of catches them, and he's teaching both the divinity of himself and his humanity, which, of course, the Pharisees don't want to go down that road. So ultimately, what we're finding here is the enemies of David. Ultimately, behind this, the real reality of it is we're looking at the hatred of of David's son and David's Lord, uh, our Savior Jesus Christ, ultimately. And we're going to try to unpack from the hatred of David to the one that David points to, to the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ, enemies. So though we don't know the precise context or background, we know generally what what is being prayed for, that that, uh, David and Christ, as we'll see from verse 19 uh, 19 and so on, uh, he has enemies and he has persecutors. And we can apply this. We're going to apply the hatred of Christ and then the hatred of those who love Christ, which, of course, Christ will talk about in John 15. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning. When we evangelize, and Christianity is evangelical, and we should evangelize. And I'm not saying everyone should be an evangelist, but we should have a desire that people would come to know and love Jesus. Um, I know sometimes it's easy to criticize people that do evangelism or missionary work. We say, well, you know, I wouldn't do that precisely. Well, the, a better question is, are you doing it at all? So if the guy's out there sweating and, and striving and, and telling people about Christ and we're on our Barker lounger, I don't know if I'd criticize sitting on the Barker, Barker lounger. If they're in the fight telling people about Jesus, good on them. But there are certain ways that people share Christ that maybe are not precisely accurate, a true according to the Bible. In one of the ways we see kind of corrected by this. This was how Christ was shared to me in college many, many years ago. If I'm 58, it was a long time ago. Um, the Campus Crusade for Christ kids would say this to us, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. So they would give the good news, but they wouldn't give the bad news of the broken law from Galatians chapter 3. That took another Baptist preacher to do that, an evangelist, a street preacher actually. The problem with just saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is, and then if you, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, everything's wonderful. Everyone loves you, your folks love you, your kids love you, your parents, everyone loves you and everybody's at peace with you. What's the problem with that? Is that true? You believe in Jesus and then after that, no more enemies, everything's great. Is that true? No, it's the exact opposite. I mean, now the Father loves you, you have Christ praying to you, the Spirit indwells you, the fellowship of saints, yes, it's great from that standpoint. But the moment you believe, like believe, believe, that spiritual warfare starts in earnest. I have said to a man who told me, you know, I want to be a minister. I said, well, you know, you pray about that. Um, because the moment you, you're a minister and you desire to be faithful to this book, the devil's going to put a crosshair right, right, right on your squash. He's, he's going to view. And the way that he's going to try to take you out of the, the pulpit is he puts that crosshairs on your wife and on your kids. Because the way that the devil works is he tries to keep, kill the weakest link to, to get at the man, and particularly God's man. 
And that's what the Bible says, that we have enemies. But we have enemies for Christ's sake. This isn't to depress us, but people, this is the birthplace of naval aviation. When they come here, they tell you, hey, man, we're going to train you how to fly and how to fight when you fly. And it's going to be hard stuff. And the reason they tell them how to fight and do hard stuff is because when you're in battle, it's hard stuff. And so the church doesn't do the church any favors when they say, you know, it's just everything's swell. You just put life into neutral and, and everything's great. Oh, no, we better learn. There are folks out there who are moved along by the power of the, the evil one. And they're engaged against us because they're engaged against our Christ. And we have to learn how to engage in spiritual warfare. So this is a basic sermon that Christ has enemies. And because we love Christ, we'll have those enemies as, as well. Now, let me read for us the counterpart of what I said. We said we're going to find the, 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 the place in the Psalms. And then when we come to the New Testament, we'll find a place where the Holy Spirit will say, that is this. It's John 15, as I've alluded to a couple times. This is Christ. Christ says this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me, and my Father as well. And now here in John 15, 25, He's going to say that that Psalm 35 is coming to pass, and it's in him. Because they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law, Psalm 35, they have hated me without cause. So the Lord Jesus Christ comes along, and he says, that verse is applicable to me. they, they They hated me without cause. Now, what I want to do is just unpack the sad business of the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ And if you're raised in the church, you're raised in the church, you can't remember when you were converted, you've always loved Christ, I envy you so much. I know I was raised in the pig pen, and I can tell you what color socks I I had on and everything when I was converted. I knew what it was like to hate Christ and and, and to hate Christians and now to love Christ. When I hear covenant kids, there's folks who are Christians, grandparents who are Christians, and they never knew a day living in the pig pen. They never knew a day where they said, I think this is a joke. I hate all of this. I do, um, I hope it's not a sinful way, but I do envy, I, I do envy that. Um, because I do remember what it's like to hate Christ and his things. But I, I want to see a contrast with last, if you were with us last week, we looked at Psalm, uh, Psalm 8. I want to say it was Psalm 8, verse 2. And, and it's in the New Testament, comes along in the book of Matthew, and Jesus says, that is this. Remember, and the little children will say what? Hosanna to the highest, praise God. And they're praising the Lord Jesus Christ and they're adoring the Lord Jesus Christ and blessing God that he has sent in Christ for them. And the Pharisees are indignant. And he says, well, haven't you read? Don't you teachers of the book know the book? The book says in the Psalms, go read Psalm 8. Not just the humanity of Christ, 
but that the little children will pray. And we talked about covenant and how God uses the covenant and the promise to the children's children. I think I upset one of my Reformed Baptist brothers, but that's an aside. But the, the main thing that we looked at was little children who love the Lord Jesus Christ for being Christ. You know, doesn't Jesus say, unless you are converted and make yourself as a little child, you will not what? What does it say? Unless you are converted like a little child, you will not what? Enter the kingdom of God. Enter the kingdom of heaven. And what is he, what is he getting at? Little children here, Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Believe in me, you have eternal life. And what does the little child do? I believe. Yeah. I believe. And for what, what do us big ones do? I read a 67-volume set, why it says and no, and what this word means in Ugaritic. I don't believe anything here. <laughs> Unless you believe the word, like a little child about me. And love, I've talked about love. I think love is an emotion. I know people write books on love as a decision and all of this. I think it's an emotion. Love is the emotional response, the counterpart, the fruit of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's a fruit. It's a product of of saving faith. Those people that believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God come in the flesh to save sinners. The emotional fruit, the emotional response of that is adoration, is love. Um, do we make certain decisions because of the emotion of love or the, or, 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 or the affection of love? Certainly. Do we have certain actions that are commensurate with the emotion, affection of love? Certainly. It's an emotion. When you guys met your wife, who was your girlfriend on the college campus or wherever you met your girlfriend, and you said, Shah, Sam, she is for me. I'm loving her. <laughs> And then when you told her, honey, I love you. No one, no one gave me any weird, well, I don't know about love. We knew exactly what we meant, and our wife knew exactly what we meant. We love her, love her. Well, the people that believe in Jesus, love him, love him. Love him, love him. I'm reading, I think it's a guy, what's his name? Bridge, William Bridge. Not Bridges, plural, but Bridge. And he said, which one of us as Christians, if, wouldn't, if Christ was here, which one of us wouldn't fall at his feet and weep and wipe his feet with his hair? I mean, my hair's fallen out, so I, I can't. But if I had long enough hair, I'd do it. Which one, which one of us wouldn't do that? Because we love him so much. And that's the response of belief. So the love of Christ. And this is in contrast with what we're looking at here, which is the hatred of Christ. So if love is the fruit, the spiritual and what leads to spiritual fruits? Love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. So if love is the emotional fruit of saving faith, what is hate? Hate is the emotional fruit of unbelief. People that say, I, I don't believe he's Emmanuel. You know, you've heard it's not just Josh. Josh McDowell was a, he was an apologist when I was in college. Um, what is it? Um, Evidence demands a verdict. Volume one and volume two, I think. Volume two is higher criticism, way beyond my pay grade. Volume one, I know it's not Van Tillian apologetics the way that I was trained in seminary. <laughs> I like the other one way better than Van Till. Don't tell anybody. Don't kick me out of the OP. But, but he, 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 he's wonderful. And he's wonderful. And he, he says in there, there's only three choices for Christ. Liar, Lord, lunatic. 
It's either yes or no, and the no is he thinks he's, he's the Christ, but he's crazy, he's not, so he's a lunatic, or he's evil, he knows he's not, and he, he, he is a, a liar. Only two choices. And the choice of, I believe you are the Christ, we love. And the person that says, no, thank you very much, and the emotional response of that person is what we're looking at in the Psalms tonight, which is hatred. Which, of course, the unbeliever says no, but God actually says something quite uh, different. So we're looking at the counterpart, which is the hatred of Christ. And as I mentioned, my envy of the covenant child, um, I suppose this is true. Um, When our kids, we raised our kids in the church, we were converted when they were tiny and always raised them in conservative churches. And it's not that we can keep our kids away from the world. Um, You know, people say, well, if I could, I would. (laughs) If I could live in a perfect place, I would do it. Um, I've never found that perfect place yet. But um, it's when when you meet people, card-carrying non-Christians. I mean, card-carrying. And when you meet a card-carrying, I don't believe him, and I just, this is not true. If you're raised around folk that tell you this is just like breathe, this is like a fish. Does a fish know they're wet? No, they're in the water. You meet the non-fish going, oh yeah, I hate him. As a kid or a person that's been raised to love him, everybody loves Christ. You meet your first card-carrying Christ hater, you probably remember it. And so we're looking at card-carrying Christ haters. Um, I, I want to give a definition of hatred. We probably don't even need it because in the fall, all of us experimentally know what it's hate to, to hate people. This is in Matthew chapter 5. Hatred, hatred is just the inward thing from whence murder flows. Even a little bitsy who can't read, uh, <laughs> they know what hatred is. Uh, I have a, four grandsons. One hates, he loves all food except tuna fish. He hates tuna fish. So hatred is um, feelings of emotions, of intense dislike or aversion to some other synonyms to get at what's going on with the hatred of Jesus. Here are some synonyms. Loathing. So people that they loathe Christ. Detesting. Wishing ill upon Christ. Desiring to do harm to. A passionate disgust. Intense hostility towards. You see that visceral, that intense intensity of emotions so love and hatred are not blase emotions. This isn't like, well, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Let's take it or leave. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is hot for Christ or hot against Christ. So there's an intensity of emotions when we're talking love and hate, hatred. The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 15 uses uh, a Greek word, meseo. I'll, but, I'll butcher it. My Greek pronunciation is, is it's a joke, but it's meseo. And it carries with it the idea of detesting something, but it's detesting something as if that something is accursed. It's it's abominating something. Something's abominable. And Jesus says, they find me abominable. I want you to just think about that. The Bible says about Christ, he is the spotless lamb of God. He went, he went around, remember the book of Acts? He, he went around doing what to all men? Go ahead, finish the sentence. Good. He never sinned against anybody. And I know theologians have that whole discussion, peccability, impeccability, which is just nonsensical to me. It's just, I don't know, sophism. 
It's not possible for Jesus to sin. He's the spotless Lamb of God. He's God come in the flesh. He did right to everyone. He was kind. He was gracious. He was loving. On the cross, what does he say? On the cross. They kill him. They, they, they murder him naked. And they're, they're treating it like it's a joke. Get him a glass of wine. Hey, he's calling for Elijah. And what does he say? Father, what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the psalm. When they were sick, I was mourning like it was my mom. I, that's Christ. They repaid me, my good, with their evil. They abominated. It, 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 it's just a mind blower. And um, the Hebrew word that we read from Psalm 35, verse 19, I, I can butcher Hebrew worse than I can butcher Greek. The Hebrew word for hatred here uh, is it, it's sane. It's pronounced sane. And so if this were, it sounds funny to us when you're reading it, I'm reading it, trying to pronounce it out phonetically. Oh, sane. If we were to just co-opt that word and make it an English word, is the hatred of God come in the flesh sane or is it insane? Are people in their right mind to hate the God of heaven and earth or are they out of their right mind to hate the God of heaven and earth? We were created as image bearers with true knowledge, true holiness, true righteousness, with dominion over the creature, as our catechism says. And now we, we were created to be God lovers. And because of Adam's fall, his sin, and he was our representative, so the God lover, the Christ lover, went to be a God hater and um, a Christ hater. That's what we're finding. Um, the, the Hebrew word actually comes from the root word, which means an enemy. So here we have men treating Christ, God come in the flesh, as an enemy. And also another synonym of this particular Hebrew word is the adversary. So these people are adversaries of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now put your Bible thinking cap on. Baptists have things, I know, I was a Baptist for a while but I wasn't raised in the Baptist church, but people that are raised in the Baptist church, they do sword drills. So if you're not raised in the Baptist church, I don't know if they do this in the Reformed church or not, but I know Baptists do it. They do sword drills. And sword drill is you're supposed to be using that Bible like this. So boom, what's this verse? Boom, 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 boom. And I know that we, 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 I train my kids to do the catechism and hopefully the Bible with the catechism and you can be like this with the catechism. It's good to be like this Jackie Chan with a catechism. It's better to be Jackie Chan with the Bible. It would be best, best, best to be Jackie Chan with the catechism and the Bible that goes with the catechism. So when we come here and we hear that they're, they're God come in the flesh, they're at his adversary. Who is the chief adversary of God? The chief adversary of God. It's a biblical word. The devil. The synonym for the devil is the adversary. He's an adversary to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's an adversary clearly to, to Christ. And he's our adversary. And he prowls around, as Peter tells us, I think, First Peter chapter 5, like a prowling lion trying to devour people uh, who he can. So now we're getting at, when we talk about why do these people hate Christ who never did anything? Now we're, when we hear they're, they're enemies, these are enemies of God, enemies of holiness, enemies of righteousness, and they're friends of evil. And they're not servants of God, they're servants of evil. Again, two classes in the world, and I don't walk around 
looking at the poor guy bowing down to the Tai Chi statue and throwing a brick at him. That's not what Christians are about. We're about throwing the gospel at him. We don't hurt people. Christians, unless you're a cop or you work for the military. Um, But we recognize that this spiritual warfare is being promoted by the chief adversary of God, who is the devil. And the devil is the devil... Is the devil omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient? Is the devil devil semi-God? No. What is the devil? He's a created being. And and I know there are some, there's a reformed guy, I won't tell you his name. He's worked it out on what day of creation God created um, Lucifer, who was the chief angel. (laughs) Talk about speculative. These things are fun to read, but then you're like, where are you getting this? I mean, I read the Bible, where are you getting this? So he, he's, a, he's a created angel. Uh, uh, Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 14, uh, Ezekiel 28, um, he's a cherub. He was the chief cherub. And then he created him as chief of the angels. He's the morning star. He's actually, Christ is called the morning star elsewhere. But he's uh, Lucifer, um, which was actually light bearer, which is a good name. And then he fell. Like man, God created everything. God did not create the devil to be the devil. God didn't create Adam fallen. He created everything good and very good. The space of six days and all very good. 624, by the way, just so you know. All right. So he creates him. But he creates everything perfect, yet moral agents, angels and men, at least a third of the angels. Is it third or two thirds? He created them with the ability to be mutable, that they could defect like man. Perfect yet mutable. So Adam defected, Satan defected. And, and why did Satan defect and become the devil? Uh, um, Isaiah 14, why? What's the reason? And what was found in his heart? Pride. Pride. This is, this is the lie of the devil. The Puritans would say, when the devil comes, and this is the devil's tactic, young people, he comes to you and says, oh, look, did God really say? You don't need to listen to God's word. No, 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 no. Don't listen to God's word. And plus, God is telling you this because he doesn't want to give you this good stuff. Now, if you listen to me because I'm your friend, oh boy, howdy, it's going to be good stuff. Just listen to me. It's all going to be great. Look at that forbidden fruit. Doesn't it look great? And promise, he says, disobey God, listen to me, and everything's going to be swell. And he promises good. So sin never says, hi, follow me. It's going to be all pain. It's the opposite. The Puritans would say, don't listen to what the devil promises you're going to get. Always think what you're going to lose. Now, probably no one in this room, but I'll talk to the Christian husbands and future Christian husbands. So the devil's going to come along and say, see that wife at the house, the one you swore to God? Yep, yep, yep. In the beginning, till death do us apart. So he's going to come to you and say, hey, listen, uh, here's, here's a new plan. Let's change in the old one and let's get the new one because the new one, whatever. And uh, boy, howdy, it's going to be great. Remember what I'm telling you today. Don't think what you're going to get. You, you think what you're going to lose. I'm going to lose the wife of my youth, my, my cistern, my sweet water, the wife of my covenant. I'm going to lose my name. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose my profession. And you, it, because the devil's going to say, oh man, Shazam, it's going to be great. Come on, boy, howdy, it's going to be great. Don't listen to him. He promises good, but he always gives bitter. And when you say back to him, Hey, you said it was going to be good. He says, yeah, I lied. That's what I do. So he's, he's an adversary. He's a liar. He fell because of pride. And then the very first lie that he gives to man in, 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 in Genesis chapter 3 is, listen to me and you can be a god. 
And then you went from being a friend of God, a lover of God, a servant of God, and now you're an enemy of God, hiding, covering yourself with a fig tree. It's the exact opposite. So the first God-hater was a fallen angelic God-hater because of pride. He wanted to be God. He didn't want to be a servant of God. And then from there, we have human God-haters. We were created to be God-lovers. And then because of the fall, because of sin, we listen to the devil. And we become we were created to be God-lovers, God-haters. This is John 8. I want to read this. I said to, I'm doing some membership classes and baptism classes for relatively young Christians. And again, if you're raised in the church, particularly a good church, a Bible-believing church, a confessional Bible-believing church, these things will sound strange to you. But I regularly meet folks that some of these things are very, very basic things. And here's one um, I read the other day. Jesus says this to a group of folks in the church, the visible church. He says, you are doing the deeds of your father. These are to the Jews. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. They say that Mary, the Virgin Mary was not virgin. That's the idea. They say Christ is, you know, the word. We have one father, um, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer in the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. because He is a liar and the father of lies. And this was my point with the young people that I met with. I said, you see this? If Jesus preached this in like a lot of churches... Do you think people would go to that church? Jesus wouldn't get hired. I guarantee you Christ will be fired from most churches. I guarantee he would be fired from most churches. You just read stuff that Jesus says. Just read it. You, you vipers, you pack of vipers. I, you, you, God, I tell you what, woe unto you. You read these things. And then you see the modern palette. You tell me something that's going to tickle my ears in my best life now or you're going you're gonna to be not doing what you're doing up there. And Christ comes along, he says, you're of your father. And they, these are the Jews. These are the Pharisees. Abra- we come from, Abra- we're children of Abraham, we're disciples of Moses. He says, oh, no, 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 no. God is not your father. He says straight out, your father is the, the devil. Who would put up with that? Who would put up with that kind of preaching? It's true. And so when we look at the fallen angelic, went from a God server, God lover to a God hater, people that hate Christ are under the power of the devil. This is a Colossians 1.13. This is Ephesians, children of darkness, children of light. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were children of wrath, even as the rest. I believe election like everybody else. Children of wrath, even as the rest. But then, boom. God changes us. This is a John 1, 10 through 13. Then we have a right to become the children of God. So we were children of wrath, children of disobedience, servants of our flesh, just like the rest. We were under the dominion of the devil. The Bible says, I mentioned Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 5, let no one deceive you with empty words. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You formerly were darkness. But now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, not as children of the darkness. So we have two classes of people. People that are children of the light. They love God in Christ. Children of the darkness. They hate God in Christ. 
There's only two choices, and that's what we have. And those who hate Christ, the frightening news is they are under the dominion of, um, of the devil. Now, when you hear that, if you're not used to hearing those kind of things, you, you, you balk, you recoil. I mentioned myself in college, and when the Christian kids would follow me around in college and say, you should become a Christian. I don't know why. Maybe because I was a drunken loon, I looked like a good prospect. So they would follow me around, and I would always say the same thing to them. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good person. I mean, you better lock up all the whiskey and all the beer, but I'm a good person. And I would always compare myself to Hitler. I'm not as bad as Hitler. And I, I laugh at that now because Hitler is not the standard. <laughs> Hitler is not the standard. God is the standard. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if you can beat Hitler, big deal. You, you might spend the rest of eternity sitting next to him. So the standard is not Hitler. I'm better than Hitler, therefore God will let me in. And so when we come to the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it do to the pride of man? You, not, I was not the only foolish one that said people are basically good. Go walk around and ask people, are piece of people basically good or basically bad? What will people tell you? Oh, they're basically good. This country does not go one week without a school shooting. Like, give me a break. What do you mean basically good? And this text comes along and says, they hate Christ. So man is not basically good. Man is basically evil. Now, the other kind of evasion away from being told that you're evil, you hate God and Christ, what's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? The atheist has more courage than the agnostic. The agnostic is, well, there's not really a God, but I don't have enough spine to just own what I really believe. So, hey, I'm not saying I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe it could be, I don't know. (laughs) Hey, man, say it loud and say it proud. Say what you believe. You believe or you don't believe. You, you better own it. So being kind of this mamby-pamby, <laughs> thinking you're going to walk on the middle fence uh, rail, um, let me ask you something. When you say, well, look, at you either love Jesus or you hate him, you'll meet people who say, well, I have people in my family, my Hindu family members, my wife's side of the family, obviously. Um, say, hey, we don't, we don't hate Jesus. We, just, we don't think he's the Christ. We don't think he's the way, the truth, and the life. We just think he's a swell guy, but we don't hate him. We're just neutral. Is neutrality neutrality? So Christ comes along and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you say, no, you're not. Jesus comes along and says, I am God come in the flesh. And this person says, and no, you're not. Here's my question. Is calling Christ a liar neutrality? No. No. It's enmity. It's, you're trying to have passive enmity or passive hatred. Make no mistake about it. Looking Christ in the face and saying, no, you are not the second person of the Godhead. No, you are not the propitiation of the sins. No, you're not virgin born. No, you're, you haven't been risen from the dead. No, you are not the way, the truth, and the life. That's hatred. Any way you want to dress that up. And Jesus says, and they hated me without cause. And he he says in the book of John, and I I don't mean to to kind of overwhelm anyone, and he says, and the world hates me. And he says, and the world's going to hate you. And we learn a couple of things about the kind of hatred against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not small. 
So yes, the world means those under the control of the fallen god of this world, the worldling, certainly it means that. But when he says the world hates me, and the world's going to hate you, he also talks about the largeness of the enmity, the largeness of the warfare. There are two paths that everyone's on. You're on a big old broad path, boatload of people on it, and it's going down. And then you're on a, a narrow path, and Jesus says, few find it, and it's going up, and it goes right through the cross. When Jesus says, in the world hates me, and the world hate, hates you. This is part of being a believer. We have to kind of um, steal ourselves mentally and emotionally and spiritually and prepare ourselves. What's this life all about? What's it like living the Christian life? Will, be, will there be a boatload of people that love Jesus and love me and, and help build me up in Christ and just two guys named Fred that hate Jesus that no one's ever going to meet? Oh, it's going to be almost the exact opposite. It's going to be almost the exact opposite. And I know you can fill churches, and I know when Christ comes back on the last day, it's going to be myriads and myriads and myriads. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find what on the earth? It's going to be like Noah. It's going to be like Lot. Many. We wonder, like, so, so why is the TV like entertainment? My wife and I don't have a TV. We don't own a TV. So at nighttime, we have worship, and then we watch like a 1940 YouTube. I don't know what we watch lately. We watched Mike Hammer last night from the 50s. Because you're trying not to watch the, the nastiness. Beloved, turn on, I mean, if you're as old as me, could, if you're 50s or 60s, when you were a kid, could you turn on the TV and see what you can turn on the TV now? No, absolutely not. So who controls the education, who controls the entertainment, who controls the military, who controls the government? Is it the worldling, primarily, or the lover of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not saying the Christians don't work in any of those realms. Of course they do. We've got a son in the military. Who's running the show? Worldlings. Worldlings. Christ-haters. Christ-haters. Why do we have the marriage laws that we... I never thought in a million years, never, ever, that this would be in the country I live in. Never, never thought in a million years. Where do we get it from? Right here. And then should we be shocked? People say, I don't know, how is this happening? We, we know exactly how it's happening. It's because those who, who hate Christ, he says they hated me without cause, and he talks about how they attack Christ. They're malicious with their tongues, they're bitter, they're false witnesses, and they rise up in groups. Unbelief oftentimes is a coward. They're going to punch you through the crowd. This is how Christians get attacked, with their tongue. And then also, when, when a crowd gathers, when a crowd gathers, I, you know, my daughter lives in Atlanta, I say, hey, when crowds start gathering, you bug out, because bad things are going to happen. And it took a crowd to say, crucify, crucify. You probably couldn't get two people to say, crucify, crucify. You get a hundred going, Man, the hatred's going to come out because you can hide behind the other hatred. And it's the same with the Christian. And so when we look at all of these things, God does not put this in his word to depress us. God puts this into his word for our instruction to inform us. That we would know, as I mentioned, Jesus takes people that are like this and he changes, he took the Apostle Paul was the persecutor of the church. He hated Christ. And then by the grace of God and the Christ of God, he takes a Christ-hater, a man that tried to destroy the church, 
And what did he do? He was the preeminent servant of Christ and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So if you go, oh, my cousin Fred is a Christ hater. Man, I, I, I told him the other day, send me a postcard with your asbestos underwear on because that's the only thing that awaits you. Don't think like that. When we see people that hate Christ, we're not to hate them back. What are we to do? Oh, God, change them. Oh, God, convert them. We don't know who the elect are. We don't know who the reprobate are. And told, on the last day, I understand on the last day, we're going to praise God even for his justice, but this ain't the last day, and we don't have that list. We pray, oh, God, convert them. Oh, God, save them. Take this enemy and make him my mother, make him, make him my brother, make him my sister in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of the folks, what the psalmist says is he commits them, he commits them to the justice and the recompense of God. I know there are movements in Christianity, I'm going to say this and I promise I'll shut up. I know there are movements in Christianity and they, they, they touch on how the, the Christian in the state and then when can we fight against the tyrannical government and so on. Oh, oh, blah, 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 blah. Be super careful. Be super careful. I know guys try to talk to them as well. When can I get my... Vengeance belongs to who? The Lord. We would have killed the Apostle Paul. I guarantee you, we would have killed Paul. If if that was right, we get to start the militia and get the swords out. When we have enemies, we get our our sword. That's not here. We commit them to the Lord. That's his business. And then we pray. God's word.